We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? What's up? I'm laughing. Aaron Quinn's already dancing in the background video here. Welcome to Talking Buffalo Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm joined, like I said, it's too bad people could only uh, hear us and not, and not see the, the handsome Aaron Quinn dancing in the background. My man from Cover One. What's going on, buddy? How you doing in this hot-ass End of August, it's the dude. Is this month? Is this summer flown by? I know you want a vacation. You had a nice family vacation. I've been up here for almost two months now, and it feels like I just got here a week ago. I mean, this summer has just flown by. What's going on, bro? Yeah, summer's flown by, man. I was just telling my wife it felt like just a couple of weeks ago. It felt like it was just thawing out, and we were starting to get the toys in the yard. And now, you know, school's starting up here this week and we're you know it's kind of end of summer here for those of us with kids that are going into school so I, i'll tell you though man there's there's been a lot of debate this summer because we had a lot of nice 75 and sunny days june july it was great june july august has been brutal and for all those people that don't know that fall is the most elite weather here in western new york it's true man i can't wait to get beyond this heat wave and get into apple picking season i'm gonna tell you right now aaron i would have Bought you on that three months ago. I've been yeah. a summer is elite guy, and I know fall's the popular one, and I get it, and it is. And now I really know that it is because staying here at my my in laws, I am moving into an apartment finally this weekend, which I cannot wait because if you listen to this podcast, you know because I bitch about it every single time I'm up here. I'm in a a spare bedroom upstairs in a very small house with no air conditioning that is like a an attic, so it's like. The heat is just trapped up here. And I was talking to you for a few minutes before we started taping. I was watching Channel 4. And we're taping this Monday night. So I was watching the Channel 4 News. And I saw a graphic that this is the hottest August ever. In the history of Buffalo, hottest August ever. And three of the last five years have been three of the five hottest Augusts ever. So it's kind of becoming a pattern, man. Summers are getting more and more impressive in Buffalo for sure. More and more impressive. And uh, I don't know if there's a pattern to it weather-wise, but the storms we had, uh, mm-hmm. had some terrible rainstorms and it didn't break the humidity at all. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to get beyond this August. And then for years, obviously Bill's football has been exciting, but never more exciting than it's been this year, dude. I can't tell you, I, I walk my neighborhoods up here in the North Towns every single day with my kids. 
and I've never seen so many Bills flags out so far ahead of the season than I see right signs, flags, everybody's ready. It's it's Super Bowl or bust here. So that's just m- making the anticipation for fall even greater. I love Bills fans all over the country, all over the world, but you really truly have to live around here to appreciate, not even appreciate, but just to understand, like to your point, just how fanatical this town is right now over football. And it's always been fanatical, but never on this level. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm so happy to be back home. Like five years in Florida, there were a lot of high points and there were Bill Backers bars and I met a lot of Bills fans and I think I converted a couple of Bills fans here and there. It was fun, but it's just not the same. You know, you walk around. I went to that open practice with Joe Miller a couple of weeks ago and just to be there in that vibe. And it was a goddamn practice and there's 18,000 fans, like 82 degrees out, by the way, at nine o'clock in the morning. And it was scorching hot, but there were still people all over the place. And just to get that vibe, man, you can't replicate it. You have to be here to feel it. And, and uh, yeah, I definitely do. You know what, too, real quick here, we're going to talk some bills, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this out at the top of the podcast here. A, a person who I consider a friend and a guy I know that you have a lot of respect for his work. Uh, Marcel Louis Jacques announced today on Twitter. And by today, I mean, Monday as we're taping this Monday night that he's out. So he's been in Buffalo over the last two years. He's leaving for another opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say on a, on a personal level, I'm sad because I've gotten to know Marcel pretty well. And I like him a lot. He's been on this podcast a handful of times. I've had, wings with him a couple of times we've had some really good conversations i thought he was a great asset to the bills community as a worker and also as a person like he was very well liked following mike rodak who you know we can make all the jokes about him but it was was unfair the way bills fans kind of shit on him anyway they really embraced marcel and marcel loves his place he was just on the podcast about a month ago and saying buffalo feels like home and uh I, I'm not going to say, I know what's next and I'm, I'm very excited for him professionally. I'm happy for him, but personally I'm sad. And this is something I know that wasn't an easy decision for him, but again, and I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly his business and not mine to, for him to talk about what's going to be next in his future. And when the time is right, I'm sure he'll do that. But anyway, just a couple quick thoughts from you, because again, I know you follow these guys, these reporters. Uh, Marcel was one of the good ones, man. Still is one of the good ones. I, I don't want to talk too much past tense. He's still going to be you know, around, but, uh, yeah. yeah. And I bet he'll be plugged into Buffalo beyond this. I think that he's built up such a following with the community, the B, uh, we'll see bills takes from Marcel going forward. No, I appreciate it. Uh, I, at first, when I first got on Twitter, I was real hard on Rodak, uh, because he leaned into that sort of troll mode with how he reported, but Rodak was actually a really good reporter when it came down to news breaking and, and doing his job. He really was, he just struck bills fans the wrong way. And Marcel was a breath of fresh air because he really just came out and it was unbiased and it was never any tinge of, uh, sort of hate or anything towards the bills. And if anything, over time he became, you know, he like Nate Gary to uh, self-proclaimed food connoisseurs of the Buffalo food area mm-hmm. and just really, you know, getting to know him uh, really fall in love with the city of Buffalo as he grew uh, here with us. So I really, I said it uh, in his mentions and truly appreciate his contribution to at the end of the day, I 
podcast and talk about the bills, but I'm just a passionate fan. And so I rely on these guys on the beat as a fan, just like everybody else. And I appreciate his contribution to covering my favorite team uh, for these last couple of years. And he's definitely going to be missed. I think ESPN will probably bring another good person. Now this is a a hot job. I would think for ESPN uh, covering a team that's one of the top three odds uh, in Vegas to be a Super Bowl contender. This is going to be a good spot for somebody. So I'm excited to see who they bring in here. Uh, but it's going to be some big shoes to fill because I think everybody loves Sal, right? Like uh, Matt Perino's well liked. Some of the B guys, though, don't get the followings. I think universally, there wasn't anyone that disliked Marcel. Everybody no. liked Marcel. And you saw that in the outpouring of support uh, from his message. I think generally everybody's sad to see him go, but happy that his career is progressing and, and wish him nothing but all the success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, selfishly as Bills fans, we want to keep him there because he was good for the community as a reporter. And again, as somebody who was just an asset to Buffalo, man, I mean, he embraced this town, this culture, the food, and he talked about it a lot. So I'll, I'll say this though, too, Aaron, and, and you and I are kind of similar. I mean, we're different in age, but we're similar in where we are in our lives. Somebody like Marcel, who's, you know, a single man in his I don't know, late, like late 20s. When you get an opportunity to kind of climb up that ladder and bounce around and and do different things, that's when you got to do it, man. That's when you you take advantage of those opportunities. The older you get and when you have families and children who are entrenched in school communities, that's when it gets harder to to pick up and leave. So, you know, again, selfishly, I, I'd like to see Marcel stay in Buffalo for 20 years to cover the bills. But as a as a human being, I understand it. Hey, man, these, this is your opportunity. This is your window. Take advantage of it. Get to do as many things as you can. I know he's excited about what's next ahead. And I'm, and again, he'll talk about that when he's ready to. But yeah, man, he's a single dude, man. Go live it up, you know? And that's part of the game in that world. Uh, outside of your you know, more local outlets. When you're dealing with the big outlets like ESPN, it's a real transit job. Like you opportunities come up uh, for these types of guys are they're, they're in a bigger platform and you have to take those opportunities when they come. Cause if you, pa- you start passing them by, then you get stuck somewhere. Not that being in Buffalo would be bad and being stuck, but you're young, you have opportunities to move up in your career, build your resume further. You'd be silly not to take opportunities when they come up. Uh, so I think that's the path. I think people, think Buffalo is a stepping stone because UB tends to get that uh, sort of label about coaches, just stepping stone. But I think that's sort of the same way for a lot of cities, especially with the ESPN guys, they plug them in. And and the idea is that those guys continue to move on up. One of the things that always fascinates me is beyond the sports. Like sometimes we kind of treat sports like, uh, like video games. You just make up these trades and and guys sign somewhere else, or they sign with free agents when you're playing your, you know, in franchise mode in Madden or whatever have you, but there really is more to it. When there's when you involve family and kids and and friendships and a lot of these guys now I'm not on that level like I'm not really close to to most of these guys in the media but I will say this about the Bills and maybe some people don't like it because maybe they think they're not pushing each other which is re- completely ridiculous but these guys are very close the Bills media community is legitimately and it's not it's not dog and pony show I mean it's for real you know what I mean it's not bullshit these guys are close. So when you, you know, that does make, I'm sure made it harder for Marcel or, you know, whoever may in the future go somewhere else, but it's a closed community. And just like I said, man, we, we don't think about those things. Sometimes some of these guys who are in the news media or sports media, when they have careers and they got families and children, it, it, it could be tough to move, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. One, and one thing, one last thing I'll point out with Marcel is even from the first jump when he, he got here, uh, Greg and I had him on right, right when he got here as an introduction. He's always given up his time mm-hmm. to the what a lot I think the B guys do, but a lot of them think of us as second tier media. We're right. not really media. There's a little bit of elitism still amongst the members of the beat, not all of them. Uh, but Marcel really embraced the content creators, the bloggers, uh, and, and developed relationships with a lot of these people. And I think that matters because I don't have aspirations uh, to do anything other than what I'm doing, be a hobbyist podcaster. But some of the dudes that are, are making content have aspirations to be in Marcel's seat. Sure. And uh, another guy that reminds me of this, Tim Graham. Tim Graham has always made himself available to bloggers and people that want to gain and get further in the industry. And not everyone is like that. Some people feel like you're stepping on their toes or taking their shine. Marcel's never been that way uh, in his time here. And and that matters, I think, to a lot of people. And so he was able really to bridge the gap of having those close relationships with the beat. But then he also sort of, you know, in uh, second tier content creators, he was part of us as well. Yeah, absolutely. I Man, I... I had him on the podcast the first time. He wasn't even in Buffalo yet. He was still in Carolina getting ready to to come up to Buffalo. I had him on. And yeah, he was very, he didn't even know me. He was very gracious. And to your point, man, Tim Graham is probably the most accessible person that I've met in sports media, in Buffalo sports media. I mean, um, you know, he has that reputation online. You know how he is, man. He's got a He's got a side to him. Like basically don't fuck He's with like him. He's like me you know in a lot of ways. Right, right, but harsh. man, he will treat Aaron Quinn, Pat Moran with the same respect or disrespect, depending on how you are to him, as he would Joe Biscaglia or uh, or Marcel or anybody. You know what I mean? He doesn't act like he's better than other people, but you know how he is with he's quick with those words. If you if you get in beef with him on on Twitter, which is uh, fun to watch. But anyway, my favorite thing about him. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I just did a Finer Wings Club last week with Ryan Talbot and and Matt Perino at uh, Amherst Ale House. And Del Reed was there, and sure enough, five minutes before we started rolling, uh, Tim Graham shows up. You know, came in, have a couple beers, maybe more than a couple, and uh, he was looking for some writing inspiration, and he and he found that on a bar stool over a couple pints, and found out some good content. But yeah, man, I love Tim. Uh, I got to get in on this finer week club, man. You're dodging me. I got to get in. Dodging you? I'm not dodging you. I wasn't gonna have. I almost you showed with- up. I almost showed up with you and Joe. Crashed in with the Stone Cold theme song <laughs> just to, and put a chair over Joe's head just for uh, for your listeners. He puts me and dude. Uh, I was gonna say between us. I'm literally talking to potentially thousands of people right now as uh, as we're recording this. He he puts me in uncomfortable spots lately. I don't like it, man. He's very Dang. critical, and I give him. I do give him credit. For being speaks his mind critical for speaking his mind he does not in it for popularity points i will give him credit for all that in a way but i also think some of his takes are outlandish and, and, and borderline stupid and he puts me in a bad spot with a lot of these sports media people because it makes it seem like i'm kissing their ass which is not really true but it's like he's calling them out and calling them out and calling them out for not being tougher on the players over covid and i'm like really their job to to be columnists and and opinionists like that they're supposed to give you news and he was complaining about you know well who gives a shit about the sixth wide receiver beat reporters do because they're supposed to and a lot of fans care about that shit so yeah i love joe it's a tough one credit but he's fucking nuts man 
Yeah. I'll tell you, I've not made a ton of friends on the beat over the years. Uh, cause I've got a little bit of that same thing that Joe has and, and calling them out when I see it. And those guys know I talk to them in, in DMS and stuff like that. And I'll mm-hmm. tell them when I call them out, I'm not, it's not that just, I'm scared to acknowledge them. Uh, and so I think that's an important part. I, I think that their job is, uh, they have to, there has to be some transparency when you're on the beat, you're responsible to the fans. Uh, I think if there's mistakes happening or, uh, people don't feel like you're covering enough, I think that because they're part of the public that it's okay to call these guys out, but yeah, this is a tough one. And there, there's some uncomfortable tweets that get tweeted at some of these guys. And sometimes their hands are tied too. Uh, you got to understand that they have editors, they have people that drive their, uh, stories and things like that. So, I, I try not to get on them too much with the way the world is now because, dude, these guys, I tweeted it out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I saw Sal was getting attacked for explaining COVID rules. He mm-hmm. was just explaining the rules on WGR and people were just blasting his his uh, mentions. And these guys are in a no-win situation. I'm the first one to jump down beat reporters' throat if I feel like they're being idiots. But no matter what they do right now, half the fan base is going to say, I don't want to hear any more about it. And then half the fan base is going to be with Joe and saying, you need to press them on this. So they're screwed either way. Well, again, I I do give Joe credit. And if nothing else, he is a a good soundbite. Like he's not boring to listen to. You might hate everything about him, but I'll give him that. He's not boring, which matters. But uh, yeah, man, he's just nuts. And, And you're right about the division. It's just the way the world is though right now, dude. It was politics society covid you name it it's like no matter what side you take you're gonna lose half bam johnson trades doesn't bam matter johnson trades with your bob what a perfect segue to, to get into because <laughs> i want to talk some bills and again we are taping this late on monday night around nine o'clock as we're recording this the only official moves the bills have made were three cuts uh kareth white brandon powell and, and quarterback uh tim harris and then the daryl johnson trade so four Four Buffalo Bills are, are they're now former Buffalo Bills. This is going to be, so this drops overnight. People hear this Tuesday morning by lunch. If you're not listening by lunchtime, there's probably, probably going to be happening. a lot, lot more. If not all the cuts will be official, certainly by early. I think the deadline's 4 p.m. on Tuesday. So again, this will be old news. So we're not going to really spend time projecting and having like the 10 millionth 53-man roster projection. Everyone's be exhausted. Of, yeah, it, it, this is too dated. It, it's sensitive, time sensitive. And a It'll be old news by then, but I do want to talk about a couple of general things. And one of them was to trade on Monday, um, Daryl Johnson to Carolina for a six rounder. You and I, and, and let me say this too, you and I can, we're good friends. We agree on a lot of stuff, but we don't agree on everything. And I like that, man. I, I've said this a million times, man. I don't need to have somebody on with me that's going to agree with every single damn thing I say. And I don't want somebody on who I'm going to agree with everything that they say. Sometimes it's okay to have opposing views. As long as you're not attacking and nasty about it. Like our, our good buddy Buffalo Wins on, on Twitter. But uh, I didn't like to trade. I did not like to trade. You did more. I, I don't want to say you loved it, but you understood it more than me. My take was, is I would have rather it been Mario Addison that got dealt. And uh, I tweeted about that. And you tweeted... Uh, that Addison brings value. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the value that you think right now Mario Addison brings because my take was this. Special teams matters some, but it's it's not that important, I I don't think. But I liked what I saw from Daryl Johnson this summer, this preseason. I think he's a player that's still ascending. 
I don't know that he's reached his ceiling. Now, you said something to the point where Brandon Bean, I'm sure, has probably recognized what his ceiling is and felt comfortable, you know, making that trade. But I look at a guy like Mario Addison, and he's descending to me. I just, on the surface, I don't like to trade. I would have rather them got rid of Mario Addison, but easier said than done, I'm sure. Like, what are your thoughts on this trade and, and why you think it was a good trade? Because I didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, so uh, my projections, uh, when we did our projection show, I thought they would keep seven defensive ends. I thought uh, that... Bam Johnson did enough to earn a spot on this team. It would have been tough either way. I think I, he wouldn't have been a game day inactive because of his special team's abilities. Right. But he wouldn't have been a heavy part of this rotation. I think one thing people are forgetting about is Jerry Hughes and how good of a player Jerry Hughes is. And we haven't seen him really a whole lot this preseason. So you're, you're seeing the different rotation. We saw this preseason, a guy like Daryl Johnson was going to struggle to get on the field here in Buffalo uh, and Mario Addison aside. Now, I think when you add in Mario Addison, it is a little bit harder to move him than I think people think. That contract's not such a great contract for another team to take on. I agree with you that he's probably a descending player uh, talent-wise. I don't know that that means he's a bad player. I I think that he still brings value to the team. I think he's still going to be a valuable piece of what they're trying to do in limited snap count. Uh, But he's not a guy that is uh, another team's going to come clamoring for and give away future assets where Bam Johnson still, again, I agree with you that he's, he is an ascending player. He's young. He's still got a lot of raw potential and he flashed enough to gain some uh, attention from other teams. Dan Morgan over in Carolina's seen him here uh, in Buffalo in his time in Buffalo. And I think that helped to add some value for Bam Johnson over there. But at the end of the day, uh, it, it seems like Brandon Bean didn't feel comfortable, or maybe he was comfortable adding the seven defensive defensive ends, but it's going to be a whole lot easier with some of the other uh, spots on the roster that we've talked about offensive line and uh, you know, cornerback, what are they going to do with some of the young corners and Marquez Stevenson? How are they going to keep him? And, all that stuff had a triple trickle effect of keeping 11 defensive linemen and seven edge rushers. So while we fell in love with Bam over the preseason, I don't know that he's that player either. Uh, and I don't love the trade, but I understand it. And I'm not upset about it. I don't think I saw fanatics tweeted out, you know, what if this ends up being a Wyatt Teller type trade where they move him and this guy just, you know, becomes one of the best edge rushers in the league. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think Addison's fine. I like him. I think that uh, he's still a productive player. He's one of the more productive edge rushers on the team last year. And they were trying to add play players to to take over that spot and get some more production on the edge. And nobody could unsee Addison from that role a year ago. So I think he still has value to the team on the field. But I think one thing that has been really hard for fans and Joe Buffalo wins is going to hate me for this conversation. But I think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott put a lot of value on veteran leadership, more so than I think fans want to realize. They talk about the leadership council all the time. As soon as they drafted Boogie Basham and and, uh, Greg Rousseau, they were talking about Mario Addison was on the phone teaching these guys. Both of those rookies have talked about what he's meant to their game. And so even if he is descending and sliding, there is still a value in the locker room where you have AJ Epinesa, Greg Russo, Boogie Basham. That's the future of the Buffalo Bills defensive end. Jerry Hughes might only be here for a year. Mario Addison's probably only got another year left. So the future is these young dudes. And Bam Johnson was kind of part of that, but he was still on the outside of these other players. 
And I think Mario Addison, and Jerry Hughes and their leadership that they provide and going through film each and every week with these young guys is, is there's a value there that doesn't show up on stat sheets. It's not going to show up on PFF. Fans won't always see it. It's not quantitative, but I guarantee you that is why Sean McDermott's keeping Mario Addison in this roster. We've lost a lot of vets over the years, Lorenzo Alexander, the Kyle Williams, that leadership council sort of shrank a little bit. Uh, you're getting some guys to step up in those roles. You hear about Tremaine Edmonds stepping up in those roles. And obviously Josh Allen's a great leader, but it's a difference of having a 34 year old veteran or 30, whatever year old veteran in that room. That's seen a lot of stuff and, and can speak to these players and help them learn. And so maybe he turns into a Trent uh, Murphy this year and we don't see a lot of play from him and people are bitching about his contract that we're still holding on to him. But I don't think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are going to feel like they lost value on keeping him in, in this organization because of what he's going to do to teach these young guys who are huge. This is going to be key to this defense is the development of these young players. You got a lot of great points. I want to have to, I'm going to have to unpack a couple of these right now to your point about veteran leadership. That point was echoed about two weeks or so ago. I did a podcast, um, the rock Powell report. And John Fina was on the show with us. And he talked specifically about that Hughes and Addison and then being in the locker room. And he used a lot of specific examples of when he was a, a young player and, and guys like Ken Hull and how some of these guys kind of reeled in guys like John Fina. And John was kind of talking about that role for, for Addison. I also like the Trent Murphy comparison because when I look at this roster right now, Aaron, I see game day like Trent Murphy last year was kind of an insurance policy. You know, if somebody got hurt, he played that happened. I don't remember who got hurt, but he played against Baltimore in the playoffs and he's the one who knocked Lamar John or Lamar Jackson out of the game. Do you see Mayo Addison in that role right now? Because I can't see the bills on game day dressing five defensive ends when they don't really don't play special teams. That's why Daryl Johnson, to your point, again, I'm unpacking a lot here. He was not going to be a game day inactive because he's excelled on special teams. But you obviously got Hughes and Rizzo, and, and then you got um, AJ Epinesa. You got Effie Obata, Boogie. If, if if he's ready right now, I mean, is Addison going to be, is he going to be sitting on the sidelines in, in a Bills warm-up suit some Sundays? Because it kind of feels like that's going to be the case to me right now. I think maybe. I think he could trend that way as the season goes on. I think the plan will probably be for Boogie Basham to be the guy that's the game day inactive to start. He doesn't totally appear ready, uh, but if he kind of develops as the year goes on, I could see Addison kind of lessening in his role and allowing Boogie Basham to come in uh, sort of in his role. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I know that will frustrate fans, but again, um, even when Trent Murphy was inactive and I know fans were mad because you're paying him all this money and he's inactive. Once week one kicks off, I don't care about contracts anymore. We're in the season. There's nothing we can do. The, right. the money's there. It's paid. I don't care anymore. So now what are you bringing to the team? And it, whenever Sean McDermott was asked about it, he said, Trent Murphy's he's not worried about him being a game day inactive and that ruining his confidence. He's coming in with the same work ethic working at his craft in the same exact ways. And that's what a young guy needs to see because to sort of John Fina's point, like that is what happens in the NFL. You can be flying high and then all of a sudden some guy takes your job and you need to still have the mental aptitude to come in and put in the work because you could be called up at any point. And so I think a guy like Addison 
is probably at, a, at the point in his career where he's humble enough uh, and, and eager enough to develop these young guys where if by week eight, nine, 10, Boogie's really starting to come on and they need a little something extra on the line, you can make him a game day inactive and it's not going to destroy the locker room or destroy anybody's confidence. And so I think it's actually a really nice setup to keep him there to start the season where if he's providing the same type of production he had last year, fantastic. Cause it was pretty good production still where, or if he's starting to fall off a little bit, you still have a young guy developing underneath him that you can then start to get some reps. So I think it's a good sort of mix of both those things. And, and, and I think that's nothing but a good thing for the bills right now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we all assume the Bills are going to keep seven defensive ends. That's like very unlikely to happen now. Barring any new trades. Yeah. Barring any new trades. Absolutely. And again, I don't want to get too specific with the roster because depending on what time people are listening to this, some of the points that we make would be uh, moot. But there's going to be a direct effect because the Bills are now not going to carry seven defensive end. That means there's probably going to be another position where maybe they carry in another guy one more than we thought. And the two positions that I've come up with where maybe they keep an extra guy than I originally planned was either running back or linebacker. I had a running back. Let me know if you agree with this. The, the first three are, are self-explanatory. I mean, there's not a lot of thought required with those. But after that, with Gilliam and Taiwan Jones, I had a feeling that one of them would make the roster, but not both. But now, again, with that extra defensive end or uh, that extra spot with uh, one less defensive end, maybe both of them make it. Or linebacker could be another position where a lot of 53-man projections that I've been listening to or reading recently had the Bills carrying just five linebackers, Andre Smith and Tyler Matekovich being the, the backups to the starters. But now maybe they carry that six. Maybe that gets Tyrell Dotson on the team or or Giles even, something like that. So do you think, does this move the Daryl Johnson trade, Bam Johnson trade? Is there a guy that you think, and again, let's be careful now because this the moves might already be official by the time people are listening, but like your knee-jerk instant reaction thought with him being traded, like what, who's a guy that maybe you thought maybe wasn't going to make this team, but maybe now they do because of this move. Yeah, so there's a lot of in- interesting type of juggling, I think, that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are going to have to do because I think there's a few positions that you could keep an extra guy at. But then you look at, so wide receiver, we don't know what's up with Isaiah McKenzie and that injury. We don't know what's up with Marquez Stevenson and his 
injuries, multiple injuries. Uh, we don't know what's going on with Harrison Phillips still yet. Um, and, and then I look at uh, other positions that I've argued with people, linebackers one, when we were doing our projections, there was a bit of a disagreement. Do you keep five? Do you keep six? I think there's a good argument for Dotson to stay on this team. I don't think Giles, uh, there's a lot of argument. I haven't liked what I've seen out of his play. Right. Some folks on the internet have liked it. I think Dotson would be that, that six if it was me choosing. Um, and then another one that's kind of tricky is cornerback, right? Uh, you have two young guys at cornerback that, uh, and Wild Goose and McLeod, that I think have both shown some flashes. And corner is a place where you can't be deep enough. And we know there's something going on with Dane Jackson. There's something going on with Levi Wallace. The Bills have not given us any information about any of these injuries, which part of me likes that we have that competitive advantage where they don't give out any information. But as a content creator, it drives me freaking nuts sure. that I don't yeah. know how to project these things, right? Um, but that position thins out very fast. Taron Johnson is also uh, was seen with his, his arm wrapped up. So that's a position in the NFL where teams are spreading the ball out more. And if you have an injury or two, you need guys. So that's one you could keep an extra guy. And then the play of the safeties, I think, is a really interesting thing that maybe not enough people are talking about. That's going to be a hard decision. Jaquan Johnson is a guy I like, a good special teamer, but he hasn't been healthy here all summer so i don't know is he going to end up on the ir are you going to be able uh to bring hamlin and josh thomas back on this roster if you release one of those guys how, how many safeties do you keep i think there's a, a enough to keep three of them on tape uh, so the brandon bean's got a lot of decisions to make but i think if you had to put me on the spot and say you know pick one I would say maybe the linebacker group, just because we saw how quickly that thinned out a year ago with Milano. There's still a question. Can Milano stay healthy? I don't know. I don't believe in injury prone tags, but he hasn't proven the ability to stay healthy with consistency. Uh, I don't know if AJ Klein's as good as he showed that he could be in, in that second half of last year. So there's some depth issues at linebacker. So I, I think if I had to choose a spot to keep an extra guy, I, I think linebacker is a pretty good spot. Uh, for that. I want to bounce back to the secondary in just a minute here, because I feel like that's a position that's not really getting discussed enough that if you're going to have a potential sore spot of this roster, for as much as people like to talk tight end, I think there's a little bit of a legitimate concern, maybe not with the starters, but with the depth of the secondary. And, and I'll bounce back to that in a second, but this is, so it's always been in Buffalo a rule of thumb, if you're drafted, you're making this roster because for the most part, they have not been very good for the last 20 years. So the, you know, the roster is always turning over. You draft guys, they don't always stick around for very long, but pretty much if you're even a late round pick, you're guaranteed to make the roster your first year. I don't think it's going to be the case this year, man. I really don't. Marquez Stevenson, I, I think is probably going to make this team. If he doesn't go on like short-term IR, I think he's going to make this team. Uh, I think Hamlin, and these are six round guys. I, I, I'm pretty sure Hamlin's going to make this team too, because again, I don't Tommy Doyle's going to have a struggle, I think, to he, make the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Richard Wild Goose, he's a six rounder. I don't think he's going to make this team. Jack Anderson, he, Jack Anderson, he's a seventh rounder. I don't think he's going to make this team. I think both might end up in the practice squad when it's all said and done. I don't think Wild Goose, I don't think Anderson's making it. So that's two drafted guys that I don't think are going to make this 53. And Tommy Doyle, I don't know. I, I think he might make the 53, but I think he's going to be a red shirt. You know, I, I think he's going to be that guy who probably barring injuries is probably inactive for 17 games this year. You know what I mean? Um, 
maybe that they're, they're being a fifth rounder. They don't want to risk him to, to waivers, but he's not going to play this year. So, I mean, you got, I think two guys who are not going to make this team. And I think you got a third who's going to be a red shirt just from this year's draft. Stevenson and Hamlin, I, I don't know what their roles will be. We'll, we'll find out, but I think they'll make the team. Point being, it used to be a lock. If you were a draft pick with the Bills, you were getting, you were making this team. Not anymore. That just shows you how good this team is, how deep this team is in a lot of positions anyway. Yeah, and I think a couple of those guys, like Doyle is probably, yeah, I think he's got a good shot to make the team, but not because he's a contributor. I think just because they right. need to keep that funnel of developmental players yep. going. Uh, but there's definitely guy. Here's the pro- other thing is this team's so deep that when you keep a Doyle, you're cutting a guy that probably could contribute to, to more of an extent than a Tommy Doyle could this year, because there's so much depth on this roster. I think there's going to be some good players and, and Greg and I kind of always poke fun at the idea that, you know, Bill's fans love to fall in love with the bottom of the roster guys, the Brandon Riley's of the world where they're terrified of, if they hit waivers, there's no way we're getting them back. There's a number of guys now that if they hit waivers, I, I'm not saying all of them can will not get through waivers, but there's going to be a number of guys from this Buffalo Bills team that are good enough players to to be claimed off the waiver uh, for other teams, and the Bills are not going to be able to get those guys back. So uh, it's going to be an interesting juggle. I'm, I can't wait. My alarm set for tomorrow because I don't want to miss what moves Brandon Bean is going to make tomorrow. But one thing to keep in mind with all this is – you know, you talked about some short-term IR stuff. The first 53 we hear won't be the 53 right. by the end of the day. Right. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. There's going to be guys that get put on IR that are sitting, in the, and then there's another guy sitting in the parking lot waiting for a check. This is going to be a fluid situation all throughout the day. So a lot of these guys that we're talking about might get cut, but they'll prob- a lot of them will probably be back as Buffalo Bills later in the day. I've heard Taiwan Jones would be a prime candidate to be one of those guys yeah. who might not make that yep. original 53, but he will be back. Um, Rita so, could so, be yeah, one of those. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yep. I'll tell you, so I, I've read a lot of projections and again, I don't want to really deep dive into one because of the time sensitivity, sensitivity because the, the, the roster is going to be out by the time people are listening to this. But Joe B from The Athletic, Brought up an interesting point. As I was reading his projections, like he only had two tight ends on the roster. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? But the way the practice squad works because of COVID last year and again this year, he's talking about like you could put a guy like you could only carry like two tight ends and you might have a guy like saying Nate Becker on the practice squad and you can elevate them a certain amount of times a year if needed because of injury. An unpopular guy, but one that he listed, Joe, was uh, Hart, Bobby Hart. You know, like he gets cut. He's probably not probably he's going to go through waivers the bills could put him on the practice squad and if need be like if Spencer brown's hurt he can't be the swing tackle or he's not ready whatever have you they can have bobby hart on the practice squad and elevate him on a game day and uh you know it's just a lot of uh roster manipulation but joe kind of like hit on that i thought that was pretty interesting that might kind of skew the the traditional way of thinking like wow why you can't you can't just carry two tight ends well yes you can you know what I mean? You can get away with stuff like that. So that's going to make uh, the roster more interesting to me anyway. But going back to that secondary issue, I had uh, right when Ryan Talbot was on last week and, and I asked him and Matt, you know, like an area that concerns them. And Matt talked a little bit about the tight ends. And I thought Ryan brought up some really good points at corner because of the injuries. You know, well, I like Wallace. We mean you have talked about Wallace several times on here. He's a good floor player. You know, I'm good with him. You can't have 22 all-pro guys on your team, so we get that. Anyway, but he's banged up. 
Teron Johnson is banged up. Dane Jackson has been banged up and he hasn't really seized that opportunity. The summer hasn't been bad, but he hasn't really seized that opportunity. A lot of injuries there, man. And I don't know. I don't know if Cam Lewis is going to make the team or not. We'll find out again on Tuesday. But I'm worried about that position. I'm worried about the depth with the injuries. And just there always seems to be a good veteran on, on this roster to, to back up corners. I guess Levi Wallace is that veteran at this point now. But I see an addition here. I see there's going to be a cornerback on this, not the first 53, but on the Bills' first game day 53-man roster. I think there's going to be a cornerback who's not even on this roster right now. And maybe ditto for safety. I mean, you talked about it with, uh, with Johnson being banged up, but I don't know how ready Hamlin is. Boyer and, uh, and Hyde are, you know, one of the best safety tandems in the NFL, but not a lot of depth. Not a lot of depth behind them. So those might be two positions, man, where I could see you know, Brandon Bean combing the waiver wire or maybe even making a trade for a veteran corner or a safety guy. What do you think? I think corner is definitely a trade target. I think if they're going to add talent to this team uh, through through trade, I think they're going to look at corner, especially not knowing the extent of Levi and Dane Jackson and even Teron Johnson's injuries. I, I think that that's reasonable to think that if there's a guy that's being shopped on the market, that they're in on those conversations, potentially corners, a tough one around the league, because this is kind of the conversation I have with fans about Levi Wallace. Uh, there's not a lot of these guys. If, if Levi Wallace is on par with his peers at the cornerback two league wide, there's pro, there's a handful of teams that have two better corners, maybe totally, you know, combined than the bills have at their top two, but Levi Wallace is right there. And so I, I don't know that the league is full of a lot of corners. I think you're going to see guys that end up on the waiver wire that are probably still also either they're vets that are those descending players. Like you talked about Mario Addison being, or they're going to be the Rashad wild gooses and the Nick McLeods of the league, which I think, both those guys have shown some things where you'd like to get them back in this system and those be some of the depth pieces. And if there's a position on this team that you can take less talent and do more with, I think the Bills have proven cornerbacks it. We saw them spell with Sharice Wright. We've seen uh, you know, EJ Gaines come in here and have some success that Brandon or uh, Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier and uh, Bob Babich's son have done a really good job with the cornerback room in their time here. So I think that worst case scenario, if they end up with these rookies or some kind of middling vet through waiver waiver wires, they're going to be able to get it. But we haven't heard anything about any long-term serious injuries at the cornerback position. And that's, so that's going to be something that's really interesting to see tomorrow is, you know, does a Dane Jackson go on the IR to what's going on with Levi Wallace? He missed those three practices in a row and not knowing, you know, Sean McDermott, not giving us really any idea of the extent of these injuries get ramps my anxiety up. Uh, but I guarantee you, Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, they've been on the phone talking about potential guys that are going to be cut on the cornerback market and see if they can swing a trade beforehand and keeping an eye on that market. I think out of all the positions, that's probably the one that's, you know, because of the injuries is the greatest focus on looking to add right now. When you mentioned being, being on the phone, it, it reminded me, and I should have said this quite a while ago when we were discussing Bam Johnson, how transparent is our GM sometimes? I mean, he's literally on the air during the third quarter of the TV broadcast on Saturday, talking about teams, calling them out their defensive ends. And sure enough, not even 48 hours later, he actually follows through and he makes a trade for 
giving away one or not giving away, but trading away one of his defensive ends. I thought that was really cool how transparent he could be at times. Very transparent. You know, one guy. I Although know- I'm, fr- I'm frustrated mm-hmm. because that turned into our buddy Perino. I think started a conversation about the idea of trading Jerry Hughes, and I think that no turned into Twitter people on Twitter being like, yeah, we should trade Jerry Hughes. And that was crazy. I've spent the last 48 hours fighting people that Jerry Hughes is not only is he a guy you don't trade because of his veteran leadership and all that, but he's the best defensive lineman on this team By a lot going right into now. this season. By a lot right yeah. now. It's not even close. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You don't trade. It's crazy. If, talk. You're, you're, if you're a championship containing team, you don't trade your best defensive end right now for what were you going to get from a, a fifth round pick a fifth and a seventh. Hell no. Blew my mind. I'm I don't not even yet. know what Matt said that. Matt. That's what I was told. I, I got to go back and listen to the episode, but everyone everyone I was arguing was like, well, Matt said it. And I was like, well, I got a, I got a bone to pick with Matt next time I talk to him. That baddie. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I would, uh, I'd argue against anybody. Uh, and that's what I said. This is the kind of the fun part. We could disagree and, and think a take or a suggestion is outlandish without being like yeah. nasty about it, Joe. Buffalo yeah, wins. to be mean. But anyway, you know what guy I low-key miss? Dean Marlowe, I really wish the Bills would have re-signed him. Because I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, you're I'm not, not going to miss him. I, I promise. I, I, well, why not? Because I don't trust Johnson. And I don't trust Hamlin right now. But I trusted Dean Marlowe if something happened to, to, to Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde. I think, I think, the, I think Hamlin's going to be good. I think yeah. Hamlin is. I think he's Marlowe. He's done a lot this preseason, in my opinion, to show that he's more ahead of. I liked him on draft day. I think he's a little bit ahead of where I thought he would be at this point. And Josh Thomas is a guy. I think Sean McDermott is going to be pounding the table for him to make this fifty-three. I think that he has is light years ahead of where uh, a backup safety should be. I think the future at safety could be already on this roster of swapping out uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer Mm. long-term. Now, I'm not saying in the next year or two, long-term. I think these guys play the same style as uh, Poyer and Hyde. I think they're poor man's versions of those guys, and I'm really excited to see their transfer. And Marlowe was fine. He he was fine, but I think Hamlin will – I, I think you won't miss Marlowe as much as you think once you, once we see what Hamlin provides this team. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. You know, one thing I was looking forward to going into the preseason, which in hindsight, I'm like, why was the running game? And see, mm-hmm. I got a running game we're going to have. And then Josh Allen plays on, on Saturday and they threw you the ball what, 18, 18 straight times. <laughs> they threw the ball and they literally didn't even run the ball in the first quarter. Um, Just Josh Allen's conversion there. Right, that was the basic, right. best yeah, run. Yeah, man. But that aside, I mean, Devin Singletary, who you know I'm not a big fan of, or I haven't been a big fan of. It's not that I don't like him. I just, I haven't been impressed by him. Let's just put it that way. But he's looked good. Even still? He's looked good this summer. I'm not, okay. a, look at, I'm not a hater. I'm not going to hate on him. I will be very happy. If Devin Singletary can run for 100 yards every Sunday, I'll be the happiest dude on earth. I'm not a hater. I just haven't been impressed with him. But, he has looked good this summer. I still think Zach Moss is the best running back on this team. Just being honest with you. I think he's looked pretty good. I like the way he's Matt looked Raiders really looked. It really is. I mean, look, it is what it is. This team is just not going to run the football a lot, man. But it's it's uh, it's about being effective more than it is about running more. And I like what, I, I like what little I've seen from them this summer. Like, how do you feel about these running backs right now going into the season? I feel pretty good. Actually, I think uh, we've been pounding the table at Cover One Buffalo that we don't need to see more running. We just need to see more efficient 
running. Right, and sure. I think we're seeing that uh, that first game, obviously, is against Detroit Lions, and they seem not great. So the, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But Singletary looked more like his rookie year self, which was a very efficient running back and a guy that maybe not the fastest guy on the field, but shows explosiveness, great balance, uh, better vision than I think we saw last year. I think they are running more to the scheme that fits his style where last year they weren't able to do that just because of COVID and and couldn't get that kind of all going. And then I think you add in Zach Moss has had a really weird off season because he didn't get to play much in those first two games. And I thought he actually looked pretty good in the time that we saw him uh, this past Saturday in that third game. A lot of those calls got a lot of the nice runs he had got called back on, pretty ticky tack holding penalties. And I think his day would look a lot better if those runs had counted. Uh, I think people don't realize he's probably faster than people think. And they're using him on some of this pitch to the outside stuff and getting Mitch Morse out in space, which I that makes me super excited to see Mitch Morse pulling uh, with Zach Moss running behind him. I think that's going to be good. A touchdown pass too. Yeah. And so I think Moss, I, Still, my stance still stands from what I said last year. I'm going to carry over to this year, which I think by the end of the year, Moss will probably be the more productive back in terms of like touchdowns and important carries. I think Moss will still be the guy. Uh, And then I didn't like what Brian Dable did with Matt Breida in the first two games, running him like a regular running back. I just got flashbacks to CJ Spiller trying to bounce everything outside and there was nothing, no sense of vision, no sense of the game. He had one nice screen pass in there where you really saw the, the speed flash off the, which is why they brought him in. But this last Saturday and how they used him in that second half and some of the jet sweep stuff, getting him on bubble screens, getting him just getting the ball in his hands in space and seeing that speed really kind of explode off the field when you're there live. Like Greg and I were talking about this. It's fun to watch on TV, but I think you lose a sense of how big and athletic and strong these guys are. We were sitting just a few rows back right on the 45 yard line. So we had a great view of this and Matt Breida's speed explodes off that turf in comparison to these other amazing athletes. So seeing Brian Dable creatively get him the ball in that last game, got me a lot more excited about what Matt Breida could be. And especially we saw the last time we saw Isaiah McKenzie uh, on Instagram, he had a sling and then we saw him at the practice with a sling. If he's not able to go early, in the season, you lose that gadget guy. I think Brita can take in that role, which could, could be really exciting. Too. Yeah, that was that was my first thought when I saw that, too. I think it's pretty obvious the Bills are going to go with the hot hand this year. I see Singletary starting the game, and I see Moss being the guy who's going to play the more meaningful snaps. You're a Chicago Bulls fan. I liken it to when the Bulls were winning all those championships when they had Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr didn't play the most minutes of guards but he played the most important minutes. That's kind of what I see with Zach Moss. I think they trust Zach Moss a little bit more in pass blocking. I think he's got better hands than Singletary. I think he's a tougher runner than Singletary. Singletary's more shiftier. Like he can make you miss in a short space better than Moss. I don't know, man. And again, it's not, I'm not intentionally continuing to be anti-Devin Singletary. I think it's more that I like Zach Moss more than the average person does. Breed will have some moments this year. You just described a potential possibility with McKenzie. Um, but, you know, I, I think Saturday's game was kind of indicative of what I could see the running game being this year. They ran in the first half anyway. The second half is just kind of run the clock out when it's preseason. But the first half, when the starters were in, 
They ran six times for 30 yards, and it would have been more, but like you said, Moss had two nice runs that got called back because of a ticky-tacky penalty. So they should have ran for about 45, 50 yards on like seven, eight carries. That's what I can see during a regular season. Yeah, and you know why? You know why? Because Josh Allen's playing quarterback. And I'm going to tell you, man, we can't go do a Bills podcast, talk about the team, and not talk about Josh Allen. You, you just can't do it. Dude, he looked so good Saturday against Green Bay. And I don't care that it wasn't their starters. It was his only preseason appearance. He looked really good. He's looked really good this summer. Every reporter that covers the team has talked ad nauseum about how sensational he's looked this summer. And Sal Capaccio, I think he hit the, the nail right on the head that the fans got to see on Saturday what these guys who've been covering the team have been seeing pretty much all summer. Dude looks phenomenal, man. If, if you had any thoughts that maybe last year was a fluke, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And it was great. To, as I was frustrated going into the game that Sean McDermott decided to play Josh Allen. Me too. While I was at the game, I was frustrated how long we saw Josh Allen in that game because he, there was a couple moments where it looked like he was going to take a couple shots. He luckily didn't. Um, but then at the end, knowing that Josh was healthy and got through the game, I was really excited to have seen Josh in front of a big uh, 50,000 people. It, it was allowed. So obviously they weren't screaming at Josh when he had the ball. It was quiet when he had the ball. But still, in, in front of fans, uh, could have had a chance to get sugar high Josh and get hyped up. But he was surgical in his approach on those yep. two drives, two 80 yard drives, let them down for touchdowns. Didn't run the ball barely at all. It was just Josh spread again, spreading the ball around eight different guys, getting touches like this is, I was talking to my wife. We go for walks after dinner and before your pod. And I was like, I'm trying not to get too excited last year. I, I knew the bills were going to be good. I didn't know how good they were going to be. They went on a run that I didn't expect. This year, I expect them to be good, and I'm worried because of just 17 years of being beaten by uh, expectations by the drought bills. I'm worried it's going to regress. Josh gave me an insurance and a confidence in, in this team that if he plays like that without Stephon Diggs on the field, I, I agree with you. I don't care that it wasn't against starters. The way he was throwing the ball, the confidence that he was thrown with, and I know one of the reporters, uh, national reporters, called it arm arrogance. The arm arrogance to go, throw a third and 20 and put a dart at 55 miles an hour into the end zone, into Gabe Davison's hands. Unbelievable confidence that he's going into this season with. He built something last year that I don't think – I don't think there's a regression in, in his future in, in the near future for him and Brian Dable's trust in him. You're going to, I think you're going to see a ton of games where he, they come out and throw 15, 16, 17 times in a row because they're going to say, Hey, stop Josh Allen from delivering the ball to eight different guys. I dare you. Belichick used to do it with the Patriots a lot, man. Yeah. They would come on. They would throw like crazy to start games. It's uh, <laughs> have you ever seen a better preseason offensive coordinating job than what Brian Dable has done this preseason. I mean, I don't think I've ever in my life watched, and I'm going back to when the Bills were a Super Bowl team. Now, when the Bills were a Super Bowl team, they mailed it in the preseason. Marv, like, oh, yeah. that, that was like vacation to them. They, they, they lost, like, pretty much every preseason game. But I can't remember ever enjoying watching preseason game. I would always look for bottom of the roster guys, you know, who's kind of surprising us here or who's disappointing us. Fuck that. This preseason was fun to watch. That Bears game, that Packers game, watching that offense, whether it was Mitch in Chicago or whether it was Josh at home against Green Bay, 
The offense was fun as hell to watch. It was exciting to watch them playing the preseason, man. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, there was a couple years ago. I got in. There was a lot of Brian Dable haters uh, in the content creation community. And I Brian Dable finally has the parts that he needs to run this offense. He has the confidence uh, from the other guys in, in that room. And the relationship, I think, that he and Josh Allen have is actually truly special. I think, obviously, you know, again, I think Buffalo wins will kill me for this because a lot of people just chalk it up to PR and, oh, of course they like each other. But I think if there's a sincere connection of, of trust that Brian Dable and Josh Allen have in terms of, four years in of running this offense and what they can do. You you see Emmanuel Sanders talk about how fun it was. He, this guy's been in the league a long time and played with great quarterbacks. And he's talking about how fun and exciting it was for preseason, a game that he was considering sitting out for because it didn't matter. And then glad and upset that he had to come out because they were having so much fun moving the ball. And you could feel that in the stadium. They just – felt like they couldn't be stopped and were moving the ball as much as they want. And Brian Dable, I think feels like he's in total control of the game with through Josh Allen. So and that's confident. a really cool feeling. So yeah. Confident. This offense is so confident and it just blows my mind. to see Josh throwing short darts. You know, when he was drafted, I didn't know what he was going to become, but I was like, all right, he's this riverboat gambler quarterback. He's going to play a lot of hero ball. He's going to make some of the greatest plays you've ever seen. He's going to make some of the dumbest mistakes you've ever seen. He was like that early in his career, and he still might be a little bit from time to time because it's kind of in his nature. Man, he's so much smarter. I think the biggest thing about Josh Allen that I see personally is the game just probably in his mind feels slower to him, you know? And that's what happens when you're poised and, and you're confident and you're relaxed in the pocket, even when he's looking chaotic. He's it, the game's going slower in his mind in year three and year four. And that's uh that's what the elite quarterbacks they do then. They make the game uh slower. And speaking of the game, by the way, so you were there Saturday with Greg, your your partner at cover one. I wasn't there. I saw it on TV, obviously. The the crowd looked really energetic. I know at one point Green Bay they 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 forced a delay a game. The fans did because the center couldn't hear the or you know the court they couldn't uh, coordinate the snap count. Was it as loud as it felt like it was on TV for a preseason game? What was your vibe? You, at times, at times it was, uh, it was hot. So there were moments where I think the energy <laughs> got sucked. It was, dude, I've been to some hot yeah. games at that stadium and this was unreal. Yeah. I, I saw four or five people in our vicinity, uh, you know, with heat stroke or passing out. So real hot day. Uh, but yeah, I, I think people were just so happy to be back in that building. You got people that have been season ticket holders for 10, 20 plus years, know all the people in their area and didn't get to be there and celebrate their team. And in the best season in 20 years, didn't get to celebrate their team with their friends. And we talked about at the top of the show, I've seen more flags and signs and excitement for the hats everywhere I go uh, now in Buffalo It is Bill's stuff everywhere. And so you had all that, this pent up energy coming into this game of people being back for the first time. And you really felt it. You felt it in the stadium. And I think week one, uh, when you add another 20,000 people on top of that, it's going to be real. Uh, and, and that place is going to be packed and jam packed. The Steelers better be ready. I, I think, you know, uh, people have talked about it in regular years that 
coming to the Ralph is like a college atmosphere. It's different than other places. I think you're going to have a lot of pent up excitement for this Buffalo Bills team, and it's going to explode week one uh, for the home opener. Well, you're kind of answering the next question I have for you, and we're winding down. I just got a couple more things for you. I want to read a tweet that I saw. It was either Sunday or Monday. I I screenshotted it so I didn't forget it because I wanted to make sure I asked you this. And I'm not being disrespectful. I just want to know if you completely disagree, which I I think you're going to. But I'm asking you because I do think it's at least a fair question to ask. Um, The woman's name is Sherry is tired on Twitter. And again, I'm not doing this to like attack any person personally. You can agree or disagree with something. Um, She said, here's her tweet. Is it weird that I feel like no matter what, how far the bills go this year, it won't feel as magical as 2020. Like that shit was euphoric and we weren't supposed to be doing that. It's expected now. That's her tweet. I think what she's asking is because the bills are expected to be this good now where they weren't last year, is it going to feel less magical? Like say if the bills, if Josh Allen does win MVP and the bills go well, there's 17 games. Say they go 14 and three next year. Is it going to feel as magical to you now because it's expected? Again, you know, you can have the, the stance that, you know, it, it's more fun to hunt than it is to be the hunted. And in some regards, the bills are kind of the hunted right now. Um, so I, at least I think there's some meat on that tweet bone. I'm not saying I agree with it. Like, what's your thought on that? I get where the tweet is because I, I agree somewhat that it was so special last year to ride the wave of kind of hey we got a good team this is a team that could compete for the division but to go in and sweep your division and just put up historical numbers on offense and be you know one game away from the Super Bowl when no one really thought you deserved to win a playoff game no nobody really I think everyone thought the Ravens were going to be you know playing the Chiefs in that game so there was that underdog and and getting there was real special. But if the Bills go fourteen and three and Josh Allen wins the MVP and they win a Super Bowl, there'll be no better season in my entire adult life. Like right. I will still ride that wave too. Um, I think if you, I'm from New England. We've talked about this a bunch. And and Patriots fans, I think you talk to a bunch of my buddies that are Patriots fans. They still had euphoria all those different runs in the Super Bowls. And maybe they all weren't as good as each other, but in a different way, they all felt good. And I wasn't a fan uh, in the same way that I am now as an adult uh, during the 90s runs. I was really young during the 90s runs. And I liked it, but I didn't understand football and wasn't invested in it in sure. the same way right, I am. Right, right. So I would kick that question to the the people that were around during that Super Bowl run. Like, did it change with the, you know, getting getting there against the Browns that year and then getting over that hump and getting into the four Super Bowls, you know, did it change year in and year out? I, The people I talked to said the whole run was special and that that was a magical period of time. They don't talk to say, hey, well, it kind of died off year in and year out. Uh, that was just a special run. And I think that's what we're entering here for Buffalo. Yeah, you know, so a year ago we were hoping but not expecting the Bills to be really good and Josh Allen to be what he has become. Now we're expecting it, whereas a year ago we didn't. That That's kind of the difference. We were hoping a year ago, now we expect it, but that doesn't make it any yet less enjoyable, any less euphoric. It's just different. Last year I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's playing so good. I can't believe how good he's become. Yeah. Now it's like, Can holy he shit, up? man. Yeah. This dude is unbelievable. But yeah, it, it's still euphoric. So here, I was going to end this 
by asking you for a couple like Bills season predictions. But I'm not going to do that. And I was going to ask you because next week's the last week before the season. Bills are going undefeated. You're probably mm-hmm. winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, you probably you're not going to probably be on this podcast next week, but you will. And Greg, I'm sure you're going to probably do some season prediction stuff, so people can tune in for that. Here's what I want to do. I got. I'm just going to give you a small little sample portion. So I've been working on a, like a list of NFL, not Bills, like NFL bowl predictions, and I'm going to do a podcast next week, and I'm going to run off a shitload of them. I just want to run off a couple for you and get just a couple uh, rapid responses. Like, you know, don't deep dive in them because we'll be here forever if you do. But uh, I'm just going to throw a couple things at you, a couple NFL bowl predictions I have. And I just want your quick take on them. You ready? Number one, I, I think the Jets are going to rue the day that they took Zach Wilson over Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields, either of them. They should have taken either of those guys. I think taking Zach Wilson is going to be something that they regret for a long time. Maybe. I, I like what I've seen. Of Wilson, but I, I I think Fields, hot take. I think Fields is going to have the most successful career out of all the quarterbacks taken. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another I think one. Lawrence is a better quarterback, but I think Fields will have a better team career. Okay. That ain't coming right away though. That team needs a new coach. No. They need a new. They need a, a makeover. He's got yeah. one great receiver in place now, which he doesn't want. It. I don't know how long Allen Robinson is going to be there. Yeah. No. But I hear yeah, long term, that's a fair. That's a good take. All right, I got another one here. The AFC sleeper team this year is going to be the Los Angeles Chargers. Are they a sleeper? I guess. I I guess a lot of people aren't. Yeah, if they can stay healthy. That's been their crutch for the last five years. If they can stay healthy. I think people forget how good Derwin James is. uh, Some of these other guys, they they got some studs over there. Yeah, I think Bills fans should hope for that because I think if them and KC can beat up on each other a little bit, that might give the Bills a, a little bit of a gate to get some home field. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, all right. Well, I, I lied because I do have one thing that involves the Bills, but it's not really about the Bills. Uh, the Bills-Saints Thanksgiving night game is going to lose some of its luster because I don't think the Saints are going to be good this year. That's probably true. That's probably true. I think they just lost too much to the cap. I think they could. I think Jameis could have been good if they were able to keep everything together. I think Jameis could have done enough, but I think they lost probably. And Michael Thomas is hurt again. Yeah, I think they're in a. I think they're in a lot of trouble. They they did lose a lot. Um, all right. Well, this is assuming Deshaun Watson doesn't get cleared and he doesn't end up there. But I I wrote Miami is a deep playoff run caliber roster, but that's not going to come to fruition because I just don't think Tua. I just don't think he's that guy. And I know a lot of people will say. Well, Josh Allen was lousy early on and he just got really good. I just don't see it with Tua. I think that's a great football team with a great roster and I do not want them to get to Sean Watson. But with Tua there, I don't think I don't think their championship aspirations will ever come to fruition with Tua at quarterback. I think it's a good team with a solid roster. And I agree. I don't I'm not sold on Tua yet. And I think even if they get Watson, I don't feel like they're a threat to the bills and the AFCs. They could beat them. I think any, any time Deshaun Watson's on the field, he can beat any team, but I don't trust. I like Brian Flores a lot, but he seems to be, he seems to lack conviction in stuff and he flip flops on stuff to, I, I don't know that he's the coach to lead a team on a deep run. There's something about him. I like him, but something, something's off there. I know bills fans are going to accuse me of talking scared, but I don't want to find that out. I do not want Deshaun Watson to end up. I don't want Watson anywhere Dolphins, near. So, uh, Right. All right. I got two more for you. This one might be a hot take. I think so. The Washington football team is going to finish as the second seed in the NFC. 
so I did a show with Anthony Prahowska, uh, kind of doing predictions, and we were talking about that Washington game. And I think Bills fans are sleeping on that, how hard that game's going to be. Uh, I think Washington's going to win that division, and I think that they will have a team that's built for a, a decent playoff run. So I don't think that's a crazy hot take. I, I'm hot on Washington. Yeah, right dude, they play mad defense. They can run the football. They got good receivers, and I think it's a good fit for Fitzpatrick. I don't know how long I think it'll it last is. there, but I think he's the right quarterback. I think it's a great fit for him. All right, last yep, one. I agree. Uh, Well, you know, maybe Bills fans won't hate this this year as much as they would have a couple years ago, but my last take is Tom Brady's going to win NFL MVP at 44 years old. It's his second year with the team. He's even more comfortable. I think by far Tampa from top to bottom has got the best roster in the NFL. I think he's going to dominate in 2021. I think he's going to have a good year. Uh, I think Josh Allen's going to win MVP. I, re- I really, that's not even a homer take. I, I just think Bills have so many weapons <laughs> and he and he and Brian Dable are just going to make magic together. Um, so I think he'll win it. But I don't think that's a crazy take. I think right now Brady's fourth in the odds in Vegas for, I mean, it's a, what, Mahomes, Rogers, Allen, and Brady. So I could see any one of those guys just edging out the other. All right, man, we're going to wrap it up today. By the way, you know, you know what? I am not going to have you on. So give me... I'm not going to have you on next week. Give me, as we get off the air now, give me a Super Bowl prediction, man. Come on, do it. All right. I think Bills end up going 14-3. and three. I think I'm going to pick the Bills to get there this year, but I am I got them going up against the Rams. I think Stafford is going to is be everything that the Rams needed to get back to the Super Bowl, and I got Bills-Rams. I'm not going to pick a winner, but I got Bills-Rams. I have a rematch of last year's Super Bowl. Now, I reserve the right to change my mind just like you do because the season hasn't started yet. Sure. You, you got yep. your own show coming up. Cover one with, with Greg. I'm going to do a, a season preview show next week. But as of right now, I got the same result. I got Tampa Bay repeating over the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm going to tell you, man, one last thing. I'm concerned with the Bills, not just about Kansas City, but I, if Baker Mayfield is good, if he's even pretty good, I think Cleveland is as good Browns as Buffalo. You know what I mean? So it's going to be tough. But anyway, give my man a follow, Aaron Quinn716 on Twitter. Love you, bro. This was fun. Love you, man. Go Bills. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.